If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Can I teach you a little theology tonight? Help you out a little bit? In the very beginning, see, this whole redemption work that Christ was accomplishing for us was big. I mean big. Number one, the, number, the first universal curse that struck the earth was man sinning. And Romans chapter 5 says that that one man's act of disobedience, death came to all of us. Every man that was born after Adam was born into sin. So it encompassed the entire earth. The next universal curse that took place was the curse of the flood. And fortunately, Noah, and his, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and so therefore his family did too. But the rest of the earth, all the rest of men and women on the earth, died in that flood. It was... Um, all-encompassing, cataclysmic, worldwide flood. So that's the second curse. And then there was this third curse that took place that affected the entire planet is when these people were gathered together building the tower. Remember the Tower of Babel, right? And it was there when God saw their unity and he said, nothing will be impossible because they're so unified, so I'm gonna have to confuse their language. So God scattered them by confusing their languages. Nobody could no longer communicate. They all of a sudden, they just began speaking other languages. And so therefore, they dispersed to different parts of the world. It affected the entire planet. Sin and death, worldwide flood, and different languages. So how's God gonna rectify all that? How's he gonna fix that? How's he gonna redeem all that? Because God... God's not going to leave things broken, especially when it comes to, you know, concerning his creation. So God began this redemption work, hallelujah, through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the curse of sin and and death was reversed in salvation by grace through faith. That man who went to sleep in death because of sin comes a whole new creation in Christ. By f- grace through faith. That reverse that curse of sin and death. Now, Scripture says that, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Thank you, Lord. So, then there's this other thing, this worldwide flood. How did God redeem that? How, did, how could he fix that? Well, that's this thing that we're going to be experiencing on May 5th called water baptism. When men went under water in the flood, they did not rise to newness of life. Their lives were over. But in going under the water, uh, waters of baptism, we bury the old nature, but praise God, we don't stay there. We rise up out of that water into newness of life. And so that curse of that judgment that was on man of water has now become a redemptive work of Christ that we identify with his burial and his resurrection from that tomb. And then the third thing, the third universal curse that divided men on the the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And the scripture says that they were all gathered in one accord, in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound of a rushing mighty wind and there appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire and set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues or divided tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And that day, the church became unified. 3,000 people were saved that day. 
That curse of divided tongues that once separated men was what brought men together in the New Testament church. So what I'm saying is anything outside of that is division. That's why there's so much division, because people are divided over tongues. If they just speak in tongues, there'd be no more division. Amen. Thank you for your enthusiasm. But it's part of the redemptive work. It's part of God's plan to restore all things to right. Isn't that beautiful? And you know what? You can see all these things in 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him shall not perish, but have what? So that speaks of salvation. Luke 3.16. John said, I indeed baptize with water, but there's one mightier than I that's coming, the latchet of whose sandals I'm not worthy to unloose, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and that's talking about that Holy Spirit baptism that day uh, that I talked about in in Acts chapter 2. And then Matthew 3.16 says this, When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Isn't that cool? In all three sixteens, in three of the, in John, Matthew, and in Luke, we have salvation, water baptism, and Holy Spirit baptism. I think that's just so cool. All right, are we ready to get into some new things tonight? Acts chapter six. Now, let me say this. I have good friends, pastors that, that don't pray in the Spirit. I don't, I don't condemn them. I just think they're just missing out on some good stuff. All right? I don't, I'm not coming, coming down on anybody who doesn't. I just want to encourage. If God, whatever God is doing, let me just say this. Whatever God is doing, I want in on it. Right? Amen. right? I don't want to pick and choose what he has. I just want all of it. That's right. Whatever it is. You want me to talk funny? I'll do it. Sure. However, however I, can, I, can, I can have more of you, however I can experience you, I'll take it. Because if you're giving it out, it's got to be good. Amen. All right, we'll talk about that some other time. All right, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now we are in Acts, what part is this tonight, 10? Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint <clears throat> against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. These are not people who preach hell. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Remember how, they had, how things were working in, um, in the book of Acts at this point, in the beginning of the church, that people were selling their goods, they're selling their property, selling their homes and stuff, and they were all bringing their, their stuff to the disciples, and then they were distributing amongst everyone as they had need. It's called communism, all right? That's what was going on. Well... Before, it wasn't too long before we started seeing problems with this kind of system, all right? Uh, because others started looking at others and started saying, they got more than me, that's not fair, that's communism right there, okay? Um, the word Helen, uh, what the Hellenists were, were they, <clears throat> they were one who imitated the manners and the customs or the worship of the Greeks and they use the Greek tongue. They're Jews living like Greeks. 
And so the Jews did not like them. The Hebrew Jews who were, you know, sold out to their tradition, they did not like the Hellenists. They considered them traitors. They considered them defectors. They did not want anything to do with them. They just thought they were just second-class citizens. And so it's very possible that, that the Hellenistic uh, widows who were supposed to be receiving you know, depending on uh, the, the church's distribution of food, were maybe being overlooked or, or put somewhere in the back of the line. So now we see some prejudice here as well. Verse 2 uh, says, Then the twelve, that is the twelve apostles, summoned the multitude um, of the disciples and said, it is not desirable or pleasing that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. All right, now what they were not, they were not saying is what we're doing is more important than that. What they're saying is we just don't have the time. What we need is help, all right? Because we have a very solemn duty as the teachers of the word to spend time in the scriptures and to spend time in prayer and we cannot do both things. This is obviously a need. So um, someone has to, what they're saying is someone's got to pick up the slack here. We can't do everything. But look at verse three. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Isn't that interesting? I think one of the saddest things about the church today, one of the, one of the losses of the church today, is they want to make sure that somebody has administrative skills to do that, that that's the first thing on their mind. They've got some business degree. You know, they've got to have these things rather than just the simple good reputation full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. This is what they required for those to be doing the work, the administrative work, the distributing work of the church. This, this kind of stuff gets overlooked a lot today. And churches are treated more like businesses and companies and rather than, you guys are being, you are difficult to preach to for some reason. Now help me out here a little bit, all right? I'm just saying, this is what they looked for for somebody to be qualified for this kind of work in the church. And if we're not careful, we'll exalt natural means over the spiritual meanings, yeah. over the spiritual value, over the spiritual truths. Good, full of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Somebody just say it. What does full of the Holy Spirit mean? Nobody wants to say. It's not a trick question. They spoke in tongues. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. So they didn't just choose anyone. There were three things they, they made sure to mention. Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. All right? Now watch. Verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What, what a standard here that they've set. The ministry of the word and prayer. This is the number one responsibility of the church leaders. Amen. Amen. It is the number one responsibility. I take great, I, I, I take it as a great responsibility and a great obligation for me to dig into the word of God, to, to spend lots of time reading lots of scripture so that I can feed you good food. Because I know that someday I'm going to have to answer to him. I'm responsible. You're not going to be responsible for that. I'm going to be responsible to stand before him and say, I did the best that I could. 
I studied to show myself approved. I rightly divided the word of truth. And I'm telling you, that is a, that's something that weighs on me continually. And it's a, I, it, I'm happy to bear that weight because yeah. he's the one that put it on me, right. right? So I'm happy to do that. But I have to tell you, it is a solemn responsibility. Right. And, and to spend time in prayer for you and spend time in prayer for, the, for, for, the, for reading, uh, for, for preaching the word. And so this, I know how important this is. But I also know the temptation to get caught up in doing the work, the busyness of the ministry, and this can be easily neglected. And I'm not going to do anybody here any favors if I'm doing everything, dividing all that time that I could be spending in the Word and in prayer. I'm not going to do any better in my own efforts of just doing the business of the church. So that's why we have staff, and that's why we have other people to help do the work, and we have volunteers that make our church great. Amen. That was a real good chance to shout amen. Amen. Verse five, in the saying, listen, in the saying pleased the whole multitude and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, I wish they would have said Pumbaa right there, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. All right? Check this out. All of these names here that are mentioned are Greek names. Isn't that interesting? So Peter said, we got to get the Greeks to go minister to the Greeks. And when they, whom they had set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Everybody say, they laid hands on them. All right, the laying on of hands. You know, there's something really powerful that happens in the laying on of hands. I don't understand it, but I know it's powerful. I know it's good. I don't know why God told us to do that, but there's something really awesome that happens when we lay hands. And uh, so I, I want to just take a few minutes to look through some various scriptures where we see scriptural precedent for laying on of hands. Because sometimes that can be mysterious to people. Going, what, why do we do that? What's the point of that? And uh, it's important to know why. Can I get a good amen? amen? Because there's this impartation that takes place in laying on of hands. Uh, let's go over to uh, your favorite book, Leviticus. Chapter 16, (laughs) in verse 21, Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel. How long did that take? There's like almost three million people, (laughs) right? All the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a pseudo man. They called that the scapegoat. All right? So they blamed the goat for what all these people did. All right? They, put, they transferred all the blame on this goat and then sent him out in the wilderness. Get out of here, you little sinning goat. You evil goat. But God, but God, that appeased his, his wrath. But it didn't, it didn't absolve it, it appeased it. It simply, he just simply coped. But all that was just a picture of the day when God himself would transfer the sins of all mankind on the Lamb of God, his own son, And his son would take the blame for everything that all mankind had ever done or ever will do. And at that moment, God's wrath wasn't appeased. It was fully satisfied. Thank God. 
But this was, this was a, this is a powerful moment by the laying on of hands, they were transferring the blame onto this animal. Now, go to Numbers 27. Numbers 27 and verse 22. <clears throat> Numbers 27 and verse 22. It says, so Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. Another reason that we see through Scripture why men laid hands on that was to inaugurate or um, to set in a new leader. All right? That happened here when I became the pastor of this church. You guys remember? How many of you were here for that? For that? that was the day after Christmas, December the 26th, 2010. And uh, my father was here, Pastor Jim Hester, my dad's pastor. He's my papa on the faith. And, uh, and then Daniel Plowman, I don't know why he was here, but he showed up. And uh, so we had him. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Daniel's been a great, great influence in my life and in the life of this church. So they were here, and they all laid hands on me. And Pastor Jim gave me a charge um, about uh, the ministry. And uh, it was a really powerful moment in my life. And uh, they all put their hand. And, and we get precedence from, from right here. And, and we're going to look in the New Testament as well. All right. Mark chapter 16, verse 18. This is a scripture that we know. And this is something that we practice here at our church. It says, they will take up serpents. We don't do that. And if they... <laughs> we're, we're getting to the part we really get into. There are some churches that do that. And... I'd like to go to one service one time, but sit in the back and just observe, right? And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. What, a, what an incredible blessing and an assurance that we have as believers that in the name of Jesus, we have this tool, if you will, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. It's powerful. It's the body ministering to the body. There's something about healing, something about the hands, though. Think about this. When you're hurt, if somebody hits you in the arm, what do you find yourself doing? Ah, you put your hand on it. Your head's hurting. Ah, you put your hands on your head. They will take up serpents. We did have a guy take up a serpent out here last year. Yeah, it lost, the, the snake lost its head. That's right. We had a, we had a copperhead in this flower bed in the front. It was on a Wednesday night, and Brad Harris walked out there and grabbed them. Who grabs snakes? I mean, who? Uh, it's crazy. Anyway, so we didn't do it as part of worship or anything like that. We did that to protect our people. So not we, he. I would never do that. Mark chapter 5. But think about what, Paul, what happened to Paul, right? He was carrying the bundle of sticks. They had just been shipwrecked, and the ship was broken up right there on the island of Malta. And, uh, and him and all the prisoners had made it safely to shore. So they're, they're freezing from the water. And they, he grabs a bundle of sticks. They're building a fire. And in that bundle of sticks was a, was a venomous snake. And it latched onto Paul's hand. And the scripture says that Paul just shook it off. Just shook it off. And all the natives there were watching, waiting for him to drop dead. <laughs> Nothing happened to him. So then they started worshiping him. He's a god. Just shook it off. I guess he had heard that scripture. Somebody told him about that. I love that. Mark chapter 5. 
Verse 22, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, listen, my daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, and she, that she may be healed, and she will live. And then jump down to 41, then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years old, and they were overcome with great amazement. Wow, they're laying on of hands for the resurrection of the dead. There was also a, a, a time when Jesus was walking by a funeral procession, a little widow who had lost her husband before, and now she's lost her only son. She's grieving over his coffin as they're carrying this young man in the coffin. And Jesus walks by, stops him, just puts his hand on the coffin, and the boy <gasps> sits up. Just messed up their funeral. Now who's going to eat all these casseroles? <laughs> Matthew 19, verse 14. But Jesus said, let the little children, children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 15, and he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Another version, uh, another gospel says that he laid his hands on them and blessed them. And that's one thing that we do here at our church when we dedicate babies. I take them in my arms and lay my hand on them and bless the children. It's, an, it's a way that we, we transfer blessing to them. It's really powerful. Um, Acts chapter 8, which we'll cover this chapter a little later on, but it says, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 8 verse 17. It's another way to receive the Spirit. Acts 13 and verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul, who would later become Paul, for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Laying hands on is another way to send out ministers. All right? Um, this one's interesting to me, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. Paul says, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. The gift was transferred or given through prophecy and laying on of hands. All right? 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul's talking to Timothy again. He says, therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Wow. This gift is transferred to Timothy, the, the uh, protege to Paul, by Paul laying his hands on him. And at that moment, he's qualified. At that moment, he's commissioned. At that moment, he's anointed. At that moment, he's gifted to do it. Hallelujah. And in Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. What he's saying is these are foundational truths of our Christianity, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So this is, this is one of the things that the, that the early church regularly practiced. These were normal practices. Everybody knew about the doctrine of baptism, doctrine of laying on of hands, and the importance of all of those things. All right? Is this helping you tonight? So um, anyway, let's, so let, let's continue. We've got to go to verse 7 of Acts chapter 6. Let's go back there. Um, then the word of God spread. Now listen, this is what happened. They laid hands on these seven men. They laid hands on them. They commissioned them. And what are they laying their hands on them to go do? Go do. 
break up the fights between the widows. What a job. Serve tables. Right? That's what they said. Serve tables. Keep the peace. Then the word of God, look, look what happened as a result of this. Then the word of God spread. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to faith. Wow. I mean, they got just a little bit more organized in church. They got just a little bit better infrastructure. And God began to increase them. Because people started taking on different roles and fulfilling different needs that were in the church, and the church started growing. Amen? When every member does their share, you're not going to be able to have enough seats in the building. I believe that. When everybody does their part. Remember, we're all members of the body. Each gives and each receives. So when you show up to church, you have something to receive and you have something to give. That's the fellowship of the body of Christ. It's really powerful. And that's when the body is operating at its maximum potential. Amen. When each part is doing its share. These men were commissioned to keep the peace among these widows. And this humble service opened up opportunities for the word of God to spread. For disciples to be made. And for these priests, the church leaders, to step up. Amen. Verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Think about it. His ministry started by receiving the humble position to serve tables, and in so doing that, in so answering that call, don't forget, he had had hands laid on him by Peter himself. So that's going to just kind of come out in his ministry. As he's waiting tables, he's laying hands on people. Man, they're getting healed of sickness and disease. I mean, signs and wonders are happening as he's giving them their loaf of bread. Amen. The key is to just get started. Nine, then there arose some who... Uh, from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. I mean, they saw what all he was doing, and they tried to, you know, call him on it, tried to argue with him, but every time he opened his mouth, they had no answer. They couldn't answer what he was saying. Because not only did he, did he have uh, uh, wisdom of words, but he also had demonstration of the power. I mean, how do you argue with that? So when you're living for God and you're serving, that it gives this weight to your words. Your words carry weight to them. Amen. I love that. They, I mean, they just couldn't resist. And the same spirit, this shows us that that very same spirit that was with Jesus was with Stephen. Because every time they tried to dispute Jesus, every time they tried to trap Jesus, they couldn't. He just got right out of it. With the words that came out of his mouth, most of the time he just baffled them by, by the things that he said. And at one point, the scripture says, and they dared not ask him any more questions. It's like they finally just gave up. We cannot win. Verse 11, and they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So since they couldn't get him in public, so then they started whispering behind doors, right? And this says that they induced men. I want to give you one of the definitions of the word induce here, because the first thing I thought of was they were handing out money. To instruct privately, to instigate, to bribe. All right? I'll give you a hundred bucks if you'll say that this guy said this. Right? 
So they're going behind the scenes and they're, they're gathering a mob of people to lie about Stephen since they can't catch him in anything that he's done. And they stirred up the people, verse 12, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say, don't forget, Stephen is a Greek name, all right? So already they don't like him, Stephanus. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. All right? Nothing could be further from the truth. Not, I mean, they completely took his words out of context because what, there's a good chance that Stephen was talking about when Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. Remember when Jesus said that and the Jews like, you're, gonna, you're telling me you're going to destroy it and you're, you're going to rebuild the temple, right? They, woo, right over their heads. Talk about himself. And there's a good chance that, that Stephen's telling that story about Jesus. And these guys are over here. Oh, so you want to destroy the law. You want to destroy the temple. You want to destroy everything we're doing. Twisting his words and using them against him. That's what happens with religious people. They just are so blind to the truth. I can remember one Sunday I was preaching. It was when we were downtown. I was preaching on, on the grace of God. And talking about how that, that the grace of God is what frees us, actually, from the, from the power of sin. Uh, you know, if, uh, Romans 6, 14 says, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, you're under grace. I don't think it can be clearer than that right there. It shall not have dominion over you, you're not under law, you're under grace. So if you're under law, then sin has power over you. Right? Paul said that the law is the strength to sin. It's the dunamis. It's the right now power to act to sin. So if I want, if I want to give you a license to sin, as I get accused of a lot, if I want to give you a license to sin, then I'm going to preach the Ten Commandments to you. If I want to give you a license to sin, then I'm going to hammer you with the law and tell you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And that way, sin can dominate you. But if I'm going to preach grace to you, then that gives you no license to sin. It gives you the power over sin. You see, but the religious world has it completely turned around. I mean, they've got the entire thing twisted up because they don't read their Bibles for one thing. They just take what was told them in their denomination and they pass it on to the next generation. They're just mindless to their tradition. They're mindless to their religion and don't see what the scriptures really say. Amen. The scripture says that where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. All right? That it is the power of God. Grace teaches you actually not to sin. It's a teacher. The grace of God that has appeared to all men. Can we go there for just one moment and then I'll let you out in just a second. Go to Titus chapter 2. Uh, let's, let's, uh, let's start in verse 10. I think 11 is where I'm trying to get to. But let's go to verse 10. Right quick, Steve, Titus chapter 2 and verse 10. Not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to how many? Okay, so the grace of God that brings salvation, that brings deliverance, has appeared to all men. Next, 
teaching us. What's teaching us? Grace is teaching us. That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Isn't that something? It's the grace of God. It's you accepting the grace of God in your life that causes you to live right. Not just to want to live right, but to actually do it. Amen. Because Paul talked about the desire to do the right thing, but he found himself not doing the right thing. Why? Because he was under the law. I want to do that. I find the things I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. The things that I want to do, that's what I find myself not doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's what he says in this Romans chapter 7. He's just talking about this struggle because he's under the law. And even though he has this desire to do right, he just can't do it because he's weak to sin because he has completely under the commandment of the law. But Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So Jesus brought grace and truth. The law came through Moses, but... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice, truth is on the side of grace, not on the law. One more scripture. Can you handle one more? All right. Uh, uh, Hebrews 12, 27. Hebrews 12, 27. Speaking of the grace of God. All right. Now this... Yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that things which cannot be shaken may remain. Next verse, 28, is where I'm trying to get to. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, aren't you happy about that? Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Think about that. It's grace that causes you to serve God the right way. It's grace that gives you this reverence and godly fear. Grace does not make you want to go do something bad and, and feel like, well, I'll be covered. I got grace. That's a lie. It's not grace. Grace brings a reverence and a fear upon you for how wonderful and great your God is. Hallelujah. Grace causes you to live acceptably before God. So if, it's not, if you're not living under grace then it's impossible to live acceptably for God. I was preaching a message something like this. You thought I forgot where I was going. I was preaching a message something like this at Cornerstone, when we were at Cornerstone Worship Center downtown, all right? And I said it just as clearly as I knew to tell you tonight. And this girl came up to me after service, her and her husband, they didn't like our pre- my, mine and dad's preaching. I'm like, why are you here then if you don't like this? Because she just felt like we, got it. we had to teach the commandments. So she comes up to me, she goes, so you're saying that we can just go do whatever we want to. And I said, that's what you got out of that message? You didn't hear a word I said. You didn't hear a word I said. Because you're blind to the law. You didn't hear a word I said. I said the exact opposite of what you're up here saying to me. But religious people can't take it. Well, they left. Sayonara. No, I don't like to see people go. I really don't at all. I don't like that. Unless they're a wolf, and I'll beat them with a stick. So this is what happens. So they're accusing Stephen 
They're accusing Stephen. He's preaching the power of God. And all they can see is that their whole world is crumbling up from under them. They no longer could control the people if the people are free. Verse 15, and all who sat in the council, look at this, all who sat in the council, this is an interesting way this chapter ends. They're hurling these accusations at Stephen, saying all these terrible things. And he's standing there, and he says that as they all looked steadfastly at him, they saw his face as the face of an angel. Now, how did they not go, whoa, 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 hang on, this guy's glowing. Right? They see his face as the face of an angel, those who are listening to these accusations. How do they not stop right there and say, hang on, hang on. But the next chapter we'll get to next week is when they drug him out and stoned him to death. Hmm. I want you to just understand tonight that freedom is found, freedom in Christ is found in just the absolute surrender to his grace in your life. Just accepting it. It's the only, it's the proper response. It's the only thing that you can do, the right thing to do to receiving God's grace. I mean, mean, that's the only proper response and that is receiving it. Because you can't earn it. Otherwise, it's not grace. Then it's a wage. So you just have to just receive that God is that good and he loves you that much. I don't know how else to say it. But I, there's sometimes I try to fight that and think, oh, God, I don't deserve that. And, and then I'll, I'll start talking. I go, man, this is, what am I doing? Do I have a higher standard than God? And sometimes the scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That tells us this was all on God's part. He wasn't waiting for us to look at him before he said, okay, now I'll go help you. No, it's why we were sinners, why we were enemies with God. We were shaking our fists in heaven and said, well, nothing to do with you. Christ came and died for us. I don't understand that kind of love, but I sure do appreciate it. And I'll take that any day of the week. The fact that God would love me even while I was still a sinner, and while I wasn't looking anywhere his direction, yet he loved me, demonstrated his love, and gave me Jesus. That makes me want to do the right thing. That makes me want to make the right choices. That makes me want to be a good person. That makes me want to love him more. That makes me want to be a better husband, a better daddy. Hmm? That makes me want to be honest and live for him. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for this wonderful time in your presence. Thank you, God, for your ministry here by your spirit by your power. God, you're so good to us. And I thank you, Lord, for my church family. Lord, you have so many wonderful things in store for every individual and as a corporate body. Lord, that you connect us together. When you do that, it's connecting the dots, Lord. Our reach gets further. Our reach gets longer and our stride gets stronger, God. You connected us together so beautifully. Lord, sometimes we can't see the big picture, but Lord, it's so good to be a part of it. Lord, I thank you in the days ahead as we just stay planted in the house of God and in fellowship with one another, living for God. Lord, that you're unfolding this beautiful picture together of of us together, Lord, and showing us, God, what your plans are, showing us what your vision is, showing us, God, what our lives mean here on this earth, God. We find our meaning as members 
of the body. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father, for great grace and peace being multiplied to your people tonight. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church. If you would like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.